you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, good morning, and I invite you to keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 3, where we just read a moment ago. And allow me to say to our church family, happy 65th anniversary. In a moment, you'll hear from any of the student ministers in the life of our church down over the last decade or more, but we're really honored you're here today. You know, I began to think about, as I see many of you families, I know so well, all the goodness the Lord has done in your lives uh, in this church. In other words, what has the church had an impact in your lives? And so we're grateful. You're looking at a map, hopefully, and you're seeing some uh, little blue dots there. Those represent either missionaries or mission trips that our church has taken over the past 65 years. And you know, I don't know how long we'll be here, We may be here in the 65 years. The Lord may come back and stop time, but let's keep at our post until the Lord comes back. Let's put a lot more blue dots on there because that is our mission to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ around the globe. And wouldn't it be great by the time we get to the 70th anniversary that it's just like blue dots everywhere. Wouldn't that be good? I wonder what would your responsibility be with that? Where would you take the gospel? Or would you take the good news? Ephesians chapter 3. It's obvious that Ephesians 3 and verse 14 and following is a prayer. He says as much, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. What isn't as obvious, it's a prayer for believers. It's a prayer for those who've already committed their life to Christ. The Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God is inside them. And this beautiful prayer, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you'll know there's some high potency prayers. I think immediately of Jesus's model prayer, our Father who art in heaven, that prayer. And I think of this prayer, it's right in that same vicinity. It's so good. You feel like reading it over and over again, you feel like you're on an escalator right into the presence of heaven itself. A week ago, I challenged you, and I echo the challenge again, to use this prayer for someone of the next generation. Generation Z. The majority of those are under the age of 18. Many of those are in front of me here. 1995 to 2010, I have three of these in my home as well. And to use the prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 for this consequential generation. When you look at the numbers, they represent about 24% of the American population. Think of that. 24% of the American population is under the age of 18. And it's a prayer for spiritual breakthrough. We know through studies, as we'll share again in a week, that like few generations before them, when they leave the student ministry groups, when they leave their youth groups and head into college, they're exiting the church at record numbers. They're just stopping the frequency. And studies are showing us that oftentimes you can begin to see that de-escalation even in the home between the ages of 13 and 18. So I ask you, and I challenge you as a church family, as your pastor, would you join me in praying personally for someone in Generation Z this prayer, a prayer of spiritual breakthrough? Would you begin speaking to the Lord about these words in Ephesians 3 and asking the Lord for someone that you love. More than 330 Gen Z students 
walked in this church's door in the month of May. 330, this church or in Cross Church. On average, they'll attend, every 10 of them, four of them will attend a weekly worship service somewhere in the nation of the Gen Z. And we need to be praying for a gigantic breakthrough. In front of us is a prayer that if you were to pray it, the power of God would be a mighty peace. Let's read verses 14 through 21 again. Let's gather our minds in the moments to come. The Bible says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. With power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able, I love this part, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory within the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever, and ever. Amen. When you read that, or you're moved, if you're anything like me, but you also feel a little bit like taking a teaspoon into an ocean and saying, I've captured the essence. It's so immense to put the power of God inside of a believer or believers. In fact, what I'd like for us to do is just pray. Would you bow your head with me? Father in heaven, there's no way for us to understand this supernatural love. There's no way for us to understand the supernatural love that your word speaks about. And I feel my limitations. I'm a fearful Lord that people will only know of this in theory, that this is something that may have happened to the grandparents or the great-grandparents, that this may be as esoteric as a theoretical physical model. And what we need now is your presence. We need you here, flooding our mind, flooding our spirits, flooding our souls. Would you drown us in your presence? Lord, we are experiencing high amounts of rain over the past week or two. Like the rain that's happening outside, would your spirit be flooding us and raining down on us? This is our only hope to understand this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're going to pray this prayer for the next generation, if you're going to pray this prayer for this generation, this time, you're going to see three specific prongs to the prayer. Beginning in verse 17, the Bible says this. First, we're to pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. 
You'll need to note that the word hearts in verse 17 is similar in verse 16 to the inner being. So if we're going to pray this, we're praying that that Christ would take root. There's an agricultural metaphor, and that Christ would be foundationed or grounded. Paul mixes his metaphors, one agricultural, one architectural, but you get the sense of what he's looking for here. This is not a shallow faith. This is not an inch-depth faith. This is for those who know Christ to know him more deeply and intimately. He says, in effect, that your inner being, verse 17 mirrors verse 16, that according to the rich of his glory, that you may be strengthened with power through your spirit in the inner being. So for you to comprehend and experience the love of God, if I'm to build a house on your lot, I've got to clear the lot to put the house there. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna experience the love of God, You've got to have a strength. You've got to strengthen up to experience this great and powerful love. And the Bible says you do that through prayer. 2014 survey surveyed 1,000 believers, American believers, as to what they pray for. Some of the things they prayed for were quite noble. More than 80% of them prayed for families and friends. Around 40% prayed for their enemies. Another 38% prayed for those who were involved in national disasters. And then there were some prayers that were less than noble. 21% of people admitted to praying that they would win the lottery. Another 7% prayed that they would get their favorite parking space. 7% prayed they would not get caught speeding. 13% prayed that their favorite team would win a certain... Super Bowl or World Series. And the honest truth is we don't know how to pray. We're all over the map. And I want to take you again to the model prayer in front of us that Paul is praying. And I want to remind you the one who's writing this is not writing it from Shangri-La. He's not writing it from a vacation spot. He's writing it from a first century prison. He's not afforded the constitutional rights that even American prisoners would experience. And I want you to take obvious fact, I want you to grasp this, that he's not praying for an outward circumstance change. Oh, I bet he wishes he could have that. Instead, he prays that the depth and the rootedness and the foundation of Christ and his love would be strengthened on the inside. Some of you are here today and you're thinking your biggest issue is a financial issue or it's a relational issue. That your biggest issue is a physical issue. Paul would say to you, those are mosquito bites. Your bankruptcy, your divorce, your cancer are mosquito bites. What you need to be praying for first and foremost is that you be strengthened, that the next generation would be strengthened. This is the biggest need of your life. And why do you need that strength? You need that strength in order to experience the love of God. There's an intimacy here. So I ask you, are you praying for your inner being? Are you praying for someone else's spiritual strength? Are you pleading with God for intimacy with him?
Because the truth is, if I turn most of us loose, I've been a pastor for 20 plus years, I've kind of seen this thing go before once or twice. If I turn you loose right now, broke you up in groups, and ask you to pray, 99 out of 100 of you would begin to pray for some physical need. You pray for Charlie's spleen and Tom's heart, and Susie's marriage. If, you asked, if I asked you to begin to pray, you'd be praying for Mike's cancer and Rick to have strength to battle his sickness and for Larry's job that he needs or the neighbor just to get a job. But few of us are praying for intimacy, real intimacy. I don't know what you believe about the Bible, but the Bible's telling you that there's more of Christ out there. It's as if you've been bequeathed billions of dollars and you're content to live on 50,000 a year. And you're just fine with that. The Bible's calling upon you. There's an intimacy with Jesus Christ that you can have. One individual spoke about their relationship with Christ in this way. He is their refuge. Jesus is my refuge in times of conflict. He's my rest in times of toil. He's my ease in times of pain. Jesus is my medicine when my heart is broken, and he is my peace at times of war. He's my glory in the midst of shame, and he's my smile when a tyrant frowns upon me. He is my power in times of weakness, and he is my freedom in times of bondage. He is my light in times of darkness, and Jesus is my help when no one else is found. And the Bible calls upon you to press the accelerator down. I'm calling upon you to press the accelerator down in prayer to pray for a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing reveals more of your heart than what you pray for. Few things will get me into the interior doors of what motivates you as to what you pray for. First, Paul says you need to be strengthened. Pray for this, strengthened with his spirit. Secondly, you're to pray that God would load you down with his love. Right there in verse 18, the word says this, that we're to pray that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Don't let the obviousness of it escape you. God is calling on you to say, Lord, give me strong insides. Make me strong on the inside to understand your love. So again, let me just say this, that if the love of God were to meet you, if there's no preparation, you couldn't receive it. You couldn't comprehend of it. You'd be a sponge that would soak up so little of it. It's a powerful statement. Father, make me strong on the inside so I can understand your love. During the Spanish Inquisition, a cave was found that operated as a prison. A skeleton was found in that cave. Evidently, the man died while imprisoned. And there on the wall of the cave was a cross. And on that cross, the man had put this, evidently. Height at the top, depth at the bottom. On the left, he put the breadth, and on the right, he put the length. It's quite obvious from the Spanish Inquisition that this man found strength. He found resources. How do you languish away? How do you waste in prison? Ephesians 3.18 gave him the resources to do that. It gave him a potency to his faith. 
And many of you have experienced the love of God at some level. And many of you might quote me John 3:16, and then you'd go about the rest of your week seeking love and approval from everyone else. The Bible's saying that there's an intimacy here that you can experience so much of the approval and the love of God by the grace of God that it care, you care less what your boss says and care less what the social media people might say about you. Care less about all that happens. The height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God. This is what we're to pray for, that we would experience that, that we would go deeper and more intimate with this. And again, you're going to need strength ahead of time before that comes. You're to pray for that. I found it interesting to note that the farthest galaxy that Hubble telescope has found is 13.4 billion light years away. I found it interesting that the deepest hole that's been dug to date that I could found is seven and a half miles in depth. Russia did that. And yet the deepest hole in the farthest galaxy is no boundary for the love of Jesus Christ. Christ's love reaches from the zero gravity of space to a thousand times pressure of our atmosphere in the depths of the ocean. And perhaps what brings us to the escalator of the throne room of God more than anything in this prayer is this sentence in verse 18 of the way that they dimensionalize, if I may use that as a verb, dimensionalize the love of God. The breadth and the width and the length and the depth. Someone might ask, well, just how wide is the love of God? And while I would not be able to extinguish all that's there, maybe I would take you to Revelation chapter 5 where John says, I saw heaven and in heaven was all people of all races, all tribes of all tongues. And then he adds in chapter 5 of verse 11, he says, there were so many people there, it was layer upon layer, there was countless multitudes of people, John would write in Revelation. That's a pretty good way to define how wide the love of God is. But maybe I would personalize it for you. How wide is his love? I would say to you, on the authority of the Word of God, there's not a thing that you may have done or already have done that would sever you from the love of God. You may have murdered. You may have slept with people you shouldn't have slept with. If I heard your sins read in a court, I may throw all kinds of books at you, but I'm here to tell you today on the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ that Christ loves you. And you can experience more than just a John 3:16 love, and that's a great experience. That's good stuff. You experience that love, I mean, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at. But the Bible's calling you, you can experience the width of his love, and then it says the length of his love. Well, how long is the love of God? And I might say to you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It matter how far you've run from him. There are people in this room today and surrounded in this building who would say to you that in my past, I ran from God. But they couldn't run fast enough. And when they got to their destination of rebellion, they found Christ there. Looking at them. And many of you, your hearts have been melted by the kindness of God. That he would receive you by his grace, despite what you've done. So what is the height of the love of God? Well, I might tell you the words of Jesus among the last he would say on the cross. It was a prayer. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I would tell you that Jesus was one who knew no sin. His 
not necessary for him to die. His death was on your behalf. There was not a nail that could keep him up there. There was not a Roman force that could exercise, exercise the pressure to put him there. He went through the wrath of God on your behalf. If that's the height of the love of God, then how deep is the love of God? And I might say to you that for those of you who are in Christ today, your future, you can't imagine it. So, well, Pastor, where do you get that from? First John chapter 3. What we will be has not yet appeared. And I quote, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So let your mind run. Put all the fantasy you want to put together. And I'm telling you, all the holy imagination that you might muster, you cannot comprehend the width and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God and what he has in store for you. I want to remind you, verse 18, if we're to be biblical, it's not just a personal experience of the love of God. Did you note that? It says, with all the saints. There's something that happens when you get among God's people that allows us to see and the quality and the texture of the love of God here. The gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace are so wide. And there's something really confusing here. It's in verse 18. It says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Is that a head scratcher to you? I don't know if you've taken a foreign language, but Bob Bernard taught me Greek, the language of the New Testament. Bob Bernard knew 12 languages. He was a smart man. And because he was a smart man teaching people like myself, he would often illustrate something like in Greek and he would use other languages. I remember him being at the dry race board, chalkboard, whatever it was, when the dinosaurs were roaming the face of the earth. And he would say, this piece is happening in Greek and it happens just like this in German. And I thought to myself, Dr. Bernard, that does not help me. I'm illiterate in English, much less German. If an illustration is to help, it's got to be a common, it's got to be a common knowledge. It was a head-scratching thing. It, let, me, let me read to you again verse 18. It didn't catch it immediately. I want you to know the love of God that surpasses the ability to know. If you can't know it, then maybe you can experience a piece of it. And there's a word here in verse 18 that I want you to grab a hold of, and I want you to mark in your Bible, and I want you to circle it. It's the word comprehend. Your translation might have the word grasp. The word comprehend or grasp. So how can I know something that surpasses knowing? And we find that the word in verse 18, he says, look at these words. He says that you may have the strength to comprehend or grasp with all the saints. And then he goes into the dimensionalizations of the word. Now that word comprehend is a unique word. In your New Testament, your New Testament's originally written in Greek, and the Greek word, the original word there's katalamayo. Katalamayo. To give you a sense of the depth of the word, it, don't just, it doesn't just mean to grasp or to comprehend. It can actually mean and be used of, of a foreign army ambushing a city. It can be used of a word such as surprise. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it's speaking of the sudden of the second coming. Christ has crucified. He is now risen. And the next thing that we understand in the Bible that Christ will do next is he will come back one day. And look what it says at the end of that. Brothers, for that day to surprise you. 
That's the same word comprehend. That's the same word grasp. It's, a, it's an ambush. It's a surprising thing. So Paul would say, if you're going to understand the love of God, this is not a theoretical knowledge. This is not sit inside of a classroom in a lecture and write something down and take notes. No, it's a catalambio. You'll be walking along and it will just seize you. It will surprise you. It will grasp you. You won't grasp it. You will be grasped. Perhaps another way that I could show this to you is Peter in Acts chapter 10. The Bible says with Peter how he comprehended this in an incredible way. The Bible says, speaking of the races, he was a Jew. He said he opened his mouth and said, truly I understand. That's that word in Acts chapter 10. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. You know what Peter was saying? He said, I didn't, I didn't comprehend it. I didn't understand it, but I was a racist. I thought the gospel, I thought the gospel was for Jews only. I didn't think that everybody else got it. I thought they had to convert to be like me. Have you ever learned something about yourself that just surprised you, it ambushed you? Are you married? And the Bible says here in the book of Ephesians chapter 3 that you need a come to Jesus moment. And it's not a woodshed moment, though a lot of us need a woodshed moment. It's a woodshed moment. No, it is a come to Jesus. It grasps you. It surprises you. It ambushes you. You comprehend this. It takes hold of you like the talons of an eagle grabs you. Don't you want that for you? Well, don't you? Don't you want that for your kids? As a parent of three of them, my heart hurts when they're rejected. But if they had this experience, it wouldn't matter what scholarship committee rejected them. It wouldn't matter what boss told them no. If they had this experience, who cares what Twitter says and Facebook says and Instagram says and TikTok says? Who cares what your mentor says? If you've had this experience, by the way, this is the cross. This is what it means. There's coming a day, if you're in Christ, where he says of you, no condemnation. And the voice of your Savior, that's the voice you live for. More than your spouse, more than your boss, more than social media, more than your children. Everyone else may reject you, but if this voice, the voice of God, receives you, there's nothing like it. Paul said, if you're going to pray this, you need to pray that had the strength of the Spirit would supply this. And secondly, that you would be loaded down with the love of God. And here's the third prayer, and I'm almost done. Verse 19, that you'd be filled with the fullness of Him. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled with the fullness of God. This is easy. This is easy. Have you ever said of someone, he's full of himself? Women do not point at this moment. Just keep your hands down. Right? He's full of himself. It's that. Only you're full of God. You're full of Christ. One of the constant prayers, if we're going to be authentic, there's so much phoniness. There's so much hypocrisy. There's so much shallowness in a church like ours. We're a blessed church. But as a pastor, I see it. 
and I'm easier to spot it in you than in me. There's so much hypocrisy, there's so much shallowness, there's so much inauthenticity, inauthenticity that we need to be praying constantly. God, empty me of me and fill me with you. Empty me with me and fill me with you. Could it be the friction in your marriage today is just that? That you are a jerk? You may be a believer, but you're a jerk. And if you had to live with you, you'd leave. (laughs) Could it be that what you need is a come to Jesus moment? And it's one thing to be taken to the woodshed. I was taken to the woodshed, and God knows I needed every one of those moments. Brian Mays, my father, supplied them amply, and to the glory of God, everybody in America is better off because of it. But there is at times a melting of the heart that kindness gives, that the love of Christ gives. That when you realize that you're not deserving of any of this, And yet he still offers all of it. So I ask you, do you believe in prayer? The Bible says that God can move mountains if we have the faith of even the smallest seed. And prayer moves God. And perhaps the thing that needs to change today is you. Prayer prayer is a powerful tool. Prayer can change the heart and the mind of the one at 1600 Pennsylvania. It can change the heart and the mind of the one who fills the Capital in Austin. The Bible says that prayer has brought fire down from on high. It has moved mountains. It is part of the Red Sea. It has brought the dead back to life. All kinds of miracles can happen through prayer. And if this next generation is going to flourish, they're going to need some miracle working prayer. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.